Welcome to Thriving Entrepreneur with your host, Steve Kidd, third-generation minister and 30-year business coach. Listen in as amazing, world-changing authors, speakers, and coaches share their struggles and victories and hear from best-selling authors' insight into how you, too, can live your life as a thriving entrepreneur. This is Steve. Welcome to Thriving Entrepreneur. Thanks for being with me here today. I appreciate you so much. I'm so grateful for this time that we get to be together where we can meet on the radio and we can talk about how to thrive. We can thrive in our lives and in our businesses, in all that we do, in spite of all the things that go on. I know we all have them. We can find a way today to thrive. There are so many secrets behind it. And I'm so honored to be able to bring the guests to you to help you learn how you can thrive, how you can succeed, how you can be exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or even think to live thriving and truly free. I really want that for you. And I'm so excited for this chance to get together today while we talk about the story to scale your dreams, to help you be able to live the life that you intended to live, to be able to scale up your business in a way that makes you feel effective and powerful, to live thriving and truly free, to really truly exceed all of your own personal expectations, as well as meet the needs of the people that you were meant to serve. Today we want to look at how do we scale our dreams? How do we make the business that we have scale up and be even more than what it was? How do we make a strategy that isn't just based off of hope, isn't just a wish, but is really truly scaled up, is really truly taken to that next level and is designed on purpose for us to thrive? How do we create a brand that tells the story of who we are? What is the story that scales your dream? You know, most of marketing really is all about the story. It's all about who can tell a story that appeals to the client so that they then want that product, good, or services. What is your story? And is your story helping you scale? Or is your story helping you confuse people? Make people wonder what exactly is it that that person does? What is your story to scale? What is the thing that you can tell people that helps them get to their next level in life and in doing helps you thrive? We're here today to meet with three amazing guests and to talk about the story to scale your dreams, to talk about hope not being a business strategy, to talk about your brand your story, scaling your business, and all of those things that you need to do so that you can live every day of your life as a thriving entrepreneur. We've got three great, amazing guests for you today, and we're going to jump right into them right now. Join me in welcoming Chuck Nabush. Hey, Chuck, how are you doing today? Doing well, Steve. How are you? I'm doing great, thanks. We want to talk about your book, Hope is Not a Business Strategy, which is a name I love, by the way. Great book title. But um, tell us a little bit about your background and a little bit about you before we jump into the book. Oh, I don't know. I spent uh, seven years active duty in the U.S. Army and did a couple of years in the National Guard before uh, going to my previous employer where I'd worked for 28 years, all in operations. I mean, we started in computer programming, worked in materials, logistics, project management, quality, as well as on the production floor, and just loved working with uh, anything to do with operations from any perspective. Retired about four years ago, and in the last year, decided to write a book about how, how we can go ahead and apply the knowledge of corporate America to small businesses primarily to, to people who are so busy working in their business, they don't have time to work on their business. Um, and so sometimes you need to kind of step back and say, a little bit of planning here can go ahead and prevent a whole lot of problems there. 
Oh, that is so true. Now, the name, hope is not a business strategy. How to take control of your business so it won't take control of you. Um, it just sounds like there's a fun story behind somebody who their business strategy was hope. Uh, is there a story behind that? And if so, can you tell us? Well, when I was working for my my um, my previous employer, every year we'd have a, a, an annual operating plan uh time come up it come up in the fall uh our our fiscal year was um first of may april 30th first of may until the the, the next year but we'd go ahead and start planning in september october that type of thing and it was always a stressful time nobody liked to go ahead and put down hey what are we going to be doing in six months much less going to be doing in 18 months you know what's your productivity how many how, what's your headcount going to be and you know I was over the production, and so I would go ahead and bring in my direct reports, and we talk about what projects we could do, and they'd be like, "Well, you know, I, you know, I just don't know." So, well, we can't go into this and just say we're going to go ahead and hope to go ahead and hit performance numbers that are given to us. We need to actively decide what those numbers are going to be. So, everyone I worked with knew that I would say, "Hope is not a business strategy. Hope is not a strategy. Hope is not a plan." And because they, they knew that, you know, hope was just not the way to go ahead and go about it, because hope means you haven't done any, you haven't given it any thought, you haven't taken any action, you're not planning on taking any action until after it happens to you. And being reactive in business, especially after what we've experienced in the pandemic, um, has certainly got, gone ahead and taught us a lot that we need to go ahead and do a little bit of prior planning. And maybe we will not predict a pandemic, but we might be able to react better and more quickly to it. You know, it's so interesting because when you start talking about corporate America, typically by the time they've gotten to that large, they kind of know their numbers at least a little bit. You know, our, uh, you know, cost for HR is this much, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and yet small businesses often they don't really even understand just the basics of where the money comes in and where it goes out. And then at the end of the year, you know, they're like, how come I don't have any money? You know what I mean? So how does a small business begin to really start looking at themselves like a biz big business would? I think you have to, you, you have to, you know, start out by doing a little bit of planning as to what do you want to do? You know, who are your customers? What are your values? What, you know, what is your mission? What is your vision? I know, you know, all of corporate America says mission, vision, values. And then they go ahead and some companies just go ahead and plaster something up on the wall and everybody's supposed to go ahead and look at it and, and, and sing Kumbaya. But some companies live by theirs. Um, and, and that's really what you want. You want them to be meaningful. You want them to be not just in, in times of great growth that you can go ahead and point to it and say, oh, look, you know, people are important or customers are important, but it's in the times of trouble when those values shine through. Uh, I know I walked into a small business one day and we all laugh at it. There was a, somebody had put up a sign that says, you know, if you're here to complain, uh, the complaint day was yesterday. Well, but that sends a message. You know, while it's funny for the employees and might be a great way to relieve a little bit of stress, it also sends a message to customers of what kind of response you're going to go ahead and get. Is that the value you want to portray to your customers, to your suppliers, to your other employees? Because remember, that same value is going to go ahead and be applied from the HR department through all the employees. And whether you have a department or it's the business owner that throws on his HR hat, he's now HR for the next hour as he deals with an employee issue, you know, Again, it sends a message. Is that the message we want to go ahead and send? So I think it starts with fundamentals like that. You know, there are other ways. Understand your process. Now, I mean, you can do something very elaborate, map it out, put it in Visio or whatever. But again, it, it, do you understand your process? Because another great example, you, you hire a new employee. Fred just left, and so you hire somebody to replace Fred. You don't have any any listing of what Fred did exactly. You don't have the process. 
So the first thing you do is you, this new employee, you kind of take them through it. They take notes. Those notes are, are, are not the documentation for that job. And if they get, if they get promoted and they train the next person, those notes, whether they were taken correctly or not, are exactly how that job's going to be done. So it, it's worth spending a little bit of time doing a little bit of planning, doing a little bit of documentation, because that can be used not just for that employee, but for future employees. When something is going wrong, you can go back, well, are we following that process? Oh, nope, we're not. We took a shortcut. We took a shortcut for this reason. Might have been valid. But how do we go ahead and change that? Or how do we go ahead and do it? And what other impacts might it have if we go ahead and make that change? I know I wrote in one of my books the whole concept of doing the things as a solo entrepreneur that you want to be the company culture once you have other people. You know, if you don't reward yourself, how easy is it to um, let somebody do something really awesome, but you're not used to getting any praise yourself, so you don't give them praise? Um, You know, what are some of the kind of basic things that a person really has to have, um, you know, scheduled out even when it's just them so that it then does create a system when there's two people or 10 people? Well, I mean, one of the, the concepts we learned from lean management is standard work. And again, that doesn't mean scheduling your day down to the minute, but it may mean saying, okay, I'm going to take 15 minutes a day And I'm going to go ahead and praise whether I have one employee, I have 10 employees, I have 30 employees, or I have 60 employees, whatever. And I'm going to take 15 minutes a day, and I'm going to find something that somebody is doing right, and I'm going to say, good job, because that's important. And again, probably 15 minutes is not not needed, but it also makes you look at what's going right as well as what's going wrong. I mean, very easy. I think humans are, are hardwired to a certain extent to be critical. We can go ahead and find the problems in anything. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes we, we're not as wired to go ahead and see something that's going well and say, hey, good job on that. Because a little bit of appreciation goes a long, long way. I spent a lot of time in the military. And no, we didn't go ahead and... and you know, go out to the field, do practice, do exercises, do everything to go ahead and and earn a medal or a ribbon or anything like that. But it was kind of nice to go ahead and get get one, you know, to recognize your efforts. And again, that that little piece of ribbon, I don't know, maybe cost 39 cents, whatever. But it was the recognition that went with it. And you got it in front of your peers. And it was something you would wear in front of other peers, you know, throughout your career. So, Again, little things. I mean, whether it, it's, you know, printing out a certificate to somebody, filling it out on the spot, um, or going around and, and, you know, saying, hey, you did very well. We've got a, a reward point system, and I'm going to go ahead and reward you X number of points. Again, it can be elaborate. It can go ahead and be something that has monetary value. But even just a pat on the back, even just, hey, everybody, let's stop what we're doing, and we're going to go ahead and say, Kristen over here is, is doing a great job. We want to go ahead and recognize her and say, hey, good job, Kristen. Everybody, let's, let's give her a round of applause for this and this and this that she did. I mean, and that goes a long, long way. So the book, again, is called Hope is Not a Business Strategy, How to Take Control of Your Business So It Won't Take Control of You. Let's talk about the, um, tell us some fun nightmare stories of people who didn't take control of their business, and so the business took control of them. Well, you know, the book is really about a lot of stories of my wife and I interacting with contractors over the past, I don't know, five, maybe 10 years. Um and it was, you know, some of the problems that we encountered as customers working with what we thought were very good contractors. They were rated well with the Better Business Bureau. We, we'd done our homework. Uh, they'd been in business a number of years. They'd had lots of success. They were doing phenomenal. But, uh, I, I mean, uh, one great example was our, our, our we put in a pool here at our house. And the guy said, well, it's COVID. I can't tell you exactly when, when we're going to start, but once we start, it'll take six weeks. 
It's a six-week process. 21 months later, we were finally able to swim in the pool. I mean, it was, and during that, one of our, our, our specific issues were, he had said, oh, you know, electrical's in, we're going to be, we're going to be, you know, bringing in the light bulbs, we're going to put the light bulbs in, in the pool, we're going to turn everything on, we're going to test the electrical. And I said, well, um, electrician has never hooked the electrical up to the, the you know, the, the main breaker panel. Oh, no, 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 I've already paid him. I know it's hooked up. Well, I know I've never really allowed anybody into my main breaker panel, which is inside my house. So I know it's not hooked up. But again, at some point in time, you can't argue. So, you know, from that little lesson, again, another lean principle, going to Gemba, going to where the work happens. Had that contractor come out periodically and checked on the work at the job site, he would have known whether he had uh, whether his subcontractor, the electrician, had had connected the electricity or not. So when it was time for him to install the lights and, and make everything work, he would have known whether the, the filter would turn on, the lights would turn on, because he would have seen what had happened or not. Well, then the contractor was all upset because he'd already paid his subcontractor for work that wasn't done. You know, is that the subcontractor's fault? Is that the contractor's fault? It's certainly not the customer's fault. But yet, because it was happening on our property, right out the back door, we knew what was going on far more than the contractor did. And I'm no contractor. I certainly have no experience in building pools. I have no expertise. But I know, you know, some basics that the electrical has to be connected up to the breaker panel at some point in time. So what is one tip, one trick that a person could begin to do right now that would help them be able to take control of their business? Again, it all comes back to planning. Think about the plumber. I mean, I, I have some plumbers who are great friends of mine. I probably have them, uh, their cell phone number in my phone. But they don't want to take a call at 10 o'clock at night or at midnight or 2 o'clock in the morning, which is, for whatever reason, about the time that your hot water heater explodes, stops working, your toilet backs up, you have a sewer problem, whatever. They've created a process so they don't take every one of those calls. Yes, they have an office phone number. That's great from 9 to 5, 7 to 5, 8 to 5, whatever it is. But after 5 o'clock, generally for most plumbers, it switches over to an emergency number. And, you know, their ads will say, hey, after hours, call this number. And that number goes to an operator someplace who says, what's your problem? What's your name? What's your phone number? What's your address? And they pass it on to the plumber or whoever's on call at the plumbing company. And that's the way they have, they, they work their process. So they don't have to take a hundred calls after hours, but it doesn't mean that the customer doesn't get taken care of. So, I mean, think about the process, think about what it is you want to do. Think about what you want to achieve. That plumber obviously did not want to go ahead and have, or it's, it's, it's true of almost all plumbers, they don't want to have the after-hours calls. Doesn't mean they don't want your business. Doesn't mean they won't come out and help you take care of whatever problem you have. But they've taken control of their business in order to go ahead and run that and have a quality of life because they don't mind business hours, but they also go ahead and want to have personal hours. So they've created a way of, work-life balance, but they can also, through their process, integrate work into those after-hours emergencies to take care of their customers also. And again, the book is called Hope is Not a Business Strategy, How to Take Control of Your Business So It Won't Take Control of You. The ebook is actually free on Amazon today, so you should go get it. Uh, lots of great things in there to help you with it. And Chuck, if somebody wants to go deeper with you, if they need your help planning um, and doing those kind of things, how can they get in contact with you? Um, I mean, the book has a lot of references. You can go out to my website, uh, 1310.com. That's 13ten.com. They can go ahead and shoot an email to 1310 at earthlink.com net to go ahead and reach me that way. I'm on LinkedIn um, under uh, Charles T. Knebush. Um The book's under C.T. Knebush. We have reference material out on the website. We have uh, templates if you need planning templates. 
So a lot of good material out there, and we're certainly willing to take a call and, and see how we can help you further. And if you call Chuck at 10 o'clock at night, it probably won't even go to a service. He'll probably just make you leave a message and talk to you tomorrow. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, again, the book is called Hope is Not a Business Strategy, How to Take Control of Your Business So It Won't Take Control of You. And as Chuck said, it's under the name C.T. Kanebush on Amazon. The link is in the uh, chat here for things. And I do strongly encourage you to get it. Thanks so much for spending some time with us here on the show today, Chuck. Thank you, Steve. What is your story? What is your strategy? How are you going to achieve your goals for this next week, this next month, this next quarter, this next year? What is that story? And how are you planning things out? Not just living on hope, but really truly getting it done as you live as a thriving entrepreneur. We're going to take our first commercial break and then we'll be right back here on Thriving Entrepreneur. If you're an author who's on a mission, stand out with your brand out. <laughs> Check this out, guys. Yep, everything's marketing and marketing is everything. Your existing book can become a best-selling book or even, hey, like mine, a number one international best-selling book in five days. Listen, if your business isn't known by everybody, it's obscurity and that's death, right? The same thing is true for your book. If you're not happy with the way your book is performing, you got that far and then it just fell off the face of the planet, kind of feeling go to yourbestsellertoday.com schedule a talk with steve it's risk-free it's guaranteed it's proven we've done it thousands of times what are you waiting for yes yourbestsellertoday.com this time next week you could have a beautiful seal on your book and get the attention that you deserve reach the people that you came to serve come on now what are you waiting for grab a pen here we go all you got to do is book a call yourbestsellertoday.com go to yourbestsellertoday.com Book a talk with Steve. It's proven. It's guaranteed. It's going to happen. All you have to do is say yes to your destiny. Welcome back to Thriving Entrepreneur. This is Steve. Welcome back. Thanks for listening to Thriving Entrepreneur today as we talk about the story to scale your dreams. In the first segment, we were talking about the whole concept of having a strategy, not just a hope, a want, a wish, or a dream, but having truly a strategy and putting with that the story that's going to scale your dreams. So now we want to talk very specifically about scaling your dreams. What are the things you dream of and how can you scale them up to even greater heights? With that said, let's jump into our next guest. Join me in welcoming Jim Padilla. Hey, Jim, how are you doing today? I am doing fantastic. Thanks for having me here, Steve. Absolutely. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you show up in the world. Yeah, well, you know, I, I, I have a huge emphasis and passion for uh, helping people scale their dreams, their opportunities. Uh, I, I tend to find that most people uh, are living at, you know, a low level of output based compared to their potential. Um, and usually they just haven't been motivated enough and then oftentimes don't have enough of a plan on what they would even do to to live into that full potential. So uh, I, I, I see people as typically greater than they see themselves um, and uh, and I do all I can to help them see it too. So, um, you know, up-leveling, being the best you can be, generating more with your with your company that you really love what is is there a secret behind you know just getting by and really succeeding at what you do you know it's well, i think there's a switch that happens in all of us and unfortunately uh you know it, it's too many times we have to if we have to turn it on ourselves you know there are certain circumstances that can turn it on but everybody hits that switch at a different place where you start recognizing that it's really not about you right? Our life that we have, our the gifts we were given, the things that we do are most beneficial and optimal when they're actually on purpose and on display for other people. And you know, I, I had kind of two tales tale of two lives myself. I grew up in a pretty hard knocks environment, uh, in, in an abusive environment. I was in foster care as a teenager and on the streets and in gangs and then in jail by 19. And 
I spent most of my time worrying about me. And I, and I was, I, I learned how to read the room and, and learn how to influence people in my direction, primarily just so they wouldn't see me as a threat. Um, but everything I was doing was mostly to keep me alive. And I carried that on into my 40s and I made a lot of money, but primarily to take care of me. And it wasn't until I had some big losses and, and, and struggles that I, and, and, you know, 2008 was a big piece of that, where I finally recognized that there has to be another way to utilize my skills and use them to serve other people so that it actually left me feeling good. Because no matter how much I made and what I did, I just, I, there was no fulfillment because it was, it was all about, I, I knew up even, you know, intentionally, I knew I was doing this. I just didn't know how to turn it off or how to do it a different way. You talk a lot about um, you not being, you know, meaning the main entrepreneur, not being the one who um, is the primary driver of sales and marketing and doing that whole, uh, you know, spend all of your day on Facebook doing lives kind of thing, you know, and replying. Um, but, you know, that's what most of the mainstream is telling us to do. If that's not the way that works, what should we be doing? Uh, well, I'm, I'm a huge proponent and we're actually, our, our, our company, we just launched a, re, a re, reignite relationships campaign um, because at the end of the day, marketing strategies come and go, tactics, business tactics come and go, relationships are what's going to drive everything. And so when we just make it a massive point to show up in service to the people that you care about or the people that you collectively in common can serve and care about, things change. Then, you know, results are real. You're serving people. You're showing up at your best. You're showing up to truly support the people that you're working with uh, all in service of the marketplace and uh, or your client base. And it's just a different perspective. You know, and when, when you spend all your time, most of the time, we're most people are very transactional focused. And it's largely because that's, that's the only thing we think is all we know. We know, well, if I have a sale, I can, if I talk to somebody, I can make a sale. Instead of recognizing that if we just serve people, the sales will show up, the sales will show up. And I know that sounds very esoteric and ethereal. And, but I learned, you know, and people say it to me too, like, well, you can afford to do that because you've made millions. And I'm like, you don't understand. I didn't make millions until I started doing that. You know, just show up to oh, certain yeah. people and let it take care of itself. So let's, um, you know, we won't pick on any of the listeners. We'll pick on me. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, let's say that I said, all right, all I want to do then is just provide value um, into the world and get to know people and serve them and be there for them. You know, number one, in a, depending on what day of the week it is, locked down or not locked down world where we may or may not be able to meet in person. Sure. What are some tactics to be able to do that? I mean, do we still use Facebook and, and YouTube and things like that to interact with people or what should we be doing? Yeah, well, you know, it's, it can be a, a quite a pain to taking task if you're going to, you know, connect to individually to hundreds or thousands of people uh, on a social media platform. And of course, you know, the, the daily grind, that stuff does need to get done. But it needs to start with, you know, if you really know who your ideal audience is, and I mean, intimately, you know, what's the problem you, that you truly solve for them, um, as opposed to the product that you solve, that you sell. And those are two different things, right? We, we, we mostly show up trying to sell our product. And instead, just focus on what is the pain they have and what is the solutions you bring? How do you solve, you know, how, what, what do you do for them? What's the experience you provide and the outcomes you provide? And talk to people about, what, about that and show up as the expert of that. You know, you, I guarantee you right now, Steve, you can sit, if I asked you, name the top 10 things that your people really struggle with. And you can answer them, right? Because you know them. And you think about them and you engage with them and you saw, and if you were just to speak about those things, if I, you know, if I just showed up in service to just say, just to consistently talk about, I know the struggles that you have trying to hire salespeople. I know how hard it can be trying to put on an event. And when you don't know how many people are going to show up, I know the struggles that you have when you keep trying to turn over sales, when you, when you're at a place where you want to hand off the sales to somebody, but you don't even know how to do it because you're the only person who's made all the sales. Like there's a lot of things that are going through people's minds and they get frustrated and they get bottlenecked, right? And so all of my marketing, all of my, anything I share publicly is around is speaking to those people with those problems and 
the thing and sharing, you know, our success stories, sharing our failures, sharing the things we're learning, right? Just letting them know that we're on this journey too. We're further down the road. We figured out, but we're not perfect. But I'm sharing with you everything I'm learning because I want to help you. And then when you put these messages out, treating the marketplace as if they are the person that you're serving, they start responding with questions or comments, both on the good side and on the bad side. And all that is that gives you the opportunities to start engaging them, right? As opposed to just start reaching out to people, um, start sharing messages that are relevant and of value that, that challenge people to think in a different way. And they'll start engaging on some level. And that's where conversations really start happening. So what do you say to the person who says they feel like they're doing that, but all it feels like is that they're talking to themselves and not really ever getting anybody to engage back with them? Yeah, I certainly understand that feeling. I've done that. I did that for years um, until, I, again, I, what I recognize where I would challenge you is just is put out a message that is uncomfortable to put out put out, make bold promises and claims that make, that will make you really uncomfortable. Um, speak some truths into the marketplace that you would hesitate before pushing send because you know, things about your client that you really want to say here. Here's how I usually will say that is what are the things that after you get off the phone with them, you say to yourself or to your coach or to your mentor, but you usually don't say to the prospects. That's the stuff you need to start sharing publicly because that's the stuff they need to hear from you because you're the expert of that problem. When you do, then you're hitting home with the truth and the truth will push people away from you or pull people towards you. And that's the beginning of it all. If you're not hitting that level, you're simply just not getting as close to the truth uh, as you can be. So we're talking about hard-hitting information and answers to questions people are afraid to ask and those kind of things, not about bold promises about, you know, I'm going to make you millions or those kind of things. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, you can say that stuff, but it falls on deaf ears because people can't relate to it. They're like, what, what, you know, what are you going to do that for me? It's like, that needs to be an answer to a problem that's being discussed. And too many times we show up with the answer before we actually open up the problem or the you know what needs to be discussed that might need an answer um, to be brought in on the back end. And the other thing I will say, and I, and I often I don't say it enough because I think the people we're dealing with are already very heart centered, compassionate entrepreneurs who care about their people. So I know you wouldn't intentionally hurt anybody. However, just remind yourself that you're sharing this stuff from a place of love. You're not doing it to beat people up. You're sharing it with them because you're the one person who knows, and you might be the only person who's willing to share it with them. So it's vital that you do. Mm, that's so, I mean, it's so beyond deep that saying that's deep seems shallow, if <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, um, how does a person critique themselves? So you want to take this path, you reach out and you say something you know, I mean, typically the first time, whether it's a, a summit or a Facebook Live or a YouTube video or whatever platform, typically the first time you do that, you're not going to get millions of people that are just going to swarm in. Those early days, how do you critique, am I really doing it or am I just conning myself into believing I'm giving them hard-hitting information when I'm really just still soft-pedaling yeah, well, typically the lack of a response is, is great feedback. Just like, you know, the lack of cash going into your bank account is good feedback that your offers are not really compelling. Because if your offer is compelling, it doesn't matter how long you've been giving it. If you put the right offer in front of the right person, it should always make sense. And um, it's the same thing with the message here. It, you know, here, here's, here's one way to, to, to measure it. Um, what are you saying to the, your marketplace that you, or what, I, what are you saying to your clients the people who've already paid you money that you're not saying to the marketplace. And that's where a disconnect comes because a lot of times we'll speak the hard truth to a client because they've paid us for it. And we say, Oh no, look, you got to think like this because you're doing it wrong and it just won't work this way. Or however you would, would speak to somebody because you'll tell them the truth. I think you should be telling that same level of truth to your marketplace because that's what lets them know 
that you're really the expert that you are. You're, you're showing them how you would coach them or how you would guide them, or how you would lead them to a solution. And they're getting an example to see exactly how you would handle it. Um, you know, one example for me is, you know, I often say, I probably say every single day on some interview on a podcast or in a training, your offer sucks. There's a really good chance you, the listener, your offer sucks, right? And it doesn't mean your solution sucks. You probably have a fantastic solution and solve problems really, really well, but you're so married to the beauty of your solution that you oversell it. And you talk about your product in, in ways that, uh, that glorify the product instead of really speaking to the person who's got the bleeding neck problem that your solution is the answer to. Right. And when you can start, when you can, when you can strip down that offer and put it in a compelling fashion that drives somebody to want to do something about it, then you start having conversions. And more importantly, you now can become, you're on the step, you're on the journey to becoming replaceable. Right. The part of the reason that most founders have to make do the most of the sales themselves is because they haven't packaged the offer in a way that makes sense. And they're the only person who knows how to talk about it in an elegant, compelling way. Well, we need about another three hours to, to even touch the tip of the iceberg on this. So let's talk about that. I'm sure this is something you teach. Um, what kind of people do you prefer to work with? Let's start there. Yeah, well, we work with scaling entrepreneurs. Um, we have two, two different levels of entrepreneurs. Typically, those who are at the six figures, six figures to half a million that are scaling to a million, looking to double their, their business. And then we have, we work with a lot of people that are scaling towards an exit, seven, eight, nine figure clients that are at the place where they have a destination, some place they have to go. The thing that they all have in common is a hunger for the mountaintop. You already know that you have something big you're striving for and you're just at a place where you are bandwidth locked and you can't get beyond yourself because you got to improve the sales process. You're ready to grow, maybe hire salespeople, sales team, and you just you need a way to do this more effectively because if you just hire salespeople without a great offer and without a great sales system, they're not going to become very great salespeople, right? So those are the people that we serve the best. And if a person wants to work with you, how can they work with you? Uh, the best thing to do is go to my personal website, uh, jimp360.com, J-I-M-P-360.com. Uh, and you'll find all my social medias. You'll find videos. I find uh, my podcasts, um, books, ways to hire us, ways to work for us. All there is you know, around us and uh, in our latest promotions all at one spot. Uh, at jimp360.com. When you get there, if you click on the contact button, it'll get all the different ways that you can connect with me directly. And I want to encourage you to shoot me a text message. Give me your name, you know, your email. Tell me what you came from the podcast here with, with Steve. And, and I'll happily share with you some resources around building a system that we'll, we call it our anti-closer sales system because it, you put a system in place that eliminates the need for you to hire closers and you can just hire good people who can follow a great system and make sales for you. Mm, I love that. And give us that link one more time. It's jimp360.com. Well, Jim, thanks so much for spending some time with us here on the show today. I appreciate the opportunity and I uh, wish everybody the best of luck in, in these tough times. Just be really clear and compelling and let people know that you're really there for them and change some lives and make some money. What is your plan to scale your company, to scale the dreams that you've created and are now bringing out in the world? And what is the story that's going to help you get there? How are you going to scale? What are you going to do? And what are you going to tell the world about it and the people that work for you about it? as you scale your dreams. We're going to take another quick commercial break and then we'll be right back here on Thriving Entrepreneur. Don't go away. If you're an author who's on a mission, stand out with your brand out. <laughs> Check this out, guys. Yep, everything's marketing and marketing is everything. Your existing book can become a best-selling book or even, hey, like mine, a number one international best-selling book in five days. Listen, if your business isn't known by everybody, it's obscurity and that's death, right? The same thing is true for your book. If you're not happy with the way your book is performing, you got that far and then it just fell off the face of the planet, kind of feel
healing, go to yourbestsellertoday.com. Schedule a talk with Steve. It's risk-free. It's guaranteed. It's proven. We've done it thousands of times. What are you waiting for? Yes, yourbestsellertoday.com. This time next week, you could have a beautiful seal on your book and get the attention that you deserve. Reach the people that you came to serve. Come on now. What are you waiting for? Grab a pen. Here we go. All you got to do is book a call, yourbestsellertoday.com. Go to yourbestsellertoday.com. Book a talk with Steve. It's proven. It's guaranteed. It's going to happen. All you have to do is say yes to your destiny. Welcome back to Thriving Entrepreneur. This is Steve. Welcome back. Thanks for listening to Thriving Entrepreneur today. So let's jump into our story now. We've been talking about scaling our dreams and about the strategy. And I've been teasing you the whole time about the story that's going to scale these dreams. So now let's talk about welding, wielding, crafting, creating that story and using it to scale our dreams. Let's jump into our next guest. Join me in welcoming David Salinas. How are you doing today, David? I'm doing really well, Steve. Thanks for asking. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about you and how you show up in the world. So I am a entrepreneur originally from New York City, living in Connecticut. Uh, I am a serial entrepreneur. I've started several businesses. I have a marketing agency uh, named, called Digital Surgeons, which is really focused on design consultants, uh, design consultancy and uh, growth marketing for a variety of different types of companies from crypto companies to uh, CPG companies to B2B companies and the like. We do quite a bit of work for about 15, 16 clients. We've been in business for 16 years. Uh, recently got into a real estate development that's been really successful called District. Uh, and um, I invest in early stage companies and constantly like to launch ideas. Um, most recently have been doing a lot of focusing in the cannabis world. So I got to hear this story. It says in here that you bought a building for a dollar and turned it into $25 million. Please tell me that story. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Uh, they call me Dollar Dave. Um, so uh, our building, so we, we moved around a bunch as an agency, you know, beg borrowing and stealing offices to the best of our ability to keep our costs low because we had only started the business with $5,000. So we went from one office where I negotiated with the landlord to, he said, I want $700 a month. I said, all right, I'll give you $200 a month and I'll pay you six grand at the end of the year. Um, we expanded three times in that building and then moved to another building and, you know, started, you know, did a, a, more of the same. And then finally, the building that we were in was purchased by a big developer from New York. And he told us his plans were to not renew our lease, uh, which was up in 22 months, and that we would uh, get kicked out eventually. So I went on this sort of mission to find a uh, replacement space. And at that time, we were like 30 people. Uh, so I knew it needed to be, and we were doing great work and things were starting to really take off. So um, we knew we needed to, a, a really great space. So we, so I looked for something. I couldn't find anything right across the street from our warehouse where our office was. There was a, an old abandoned bus depot that was owned by the state of Connecticut's Department of Transportation. And they had abandoned it about seven years prior. So uh, one night I had this epiphany, this vision. I was looking at a satellite view. I was very frustrated. I couldn't find space. I was looking at a satellite view of the bus depot from Google Maps, uh, Google Satellite. And I realized just how massive it was. It was nine and a half acres, 200,000 square foot of building on a river uh, right next to the highway. And I just had this huge vision for what it could be, which was an amalgamation of things I had been thinking about since uh, 2007, uh, uh, when I had this idea to build a creative collective community in a single building, and this is pre-WeWork. So everything came to me in that five minutes. Uh, the next day, I pushed uh, the city to figure out how we could get the state to play with us and consider this as a space for us. Uh, the city did convince the state to put it up, put the property up for RFP, which is a request for proposal. 
we competed for that. And in the finale, uh, we were chosen to go up against the big New York City developer that was across the street. He bid $3.1 million to turn the space into a grocery store and a parking garage. Uh, and we bid uh, a dollar um, to turn it into a technology and innovation campus with a beer garden and an amphitheater and a walking trail on the river and a place where communities would come together to, to have to feel energy and, and be prosperous and be entrepreneurial and to learn from one another. Uh, and we basically used branding and storytelling to, to do that. And they accepted my bid for a dollar. They literally asked me, uh, would you, your, your comp the, co the competitor you're up against bid quite, quite more money, substantially more money than you, would you change your bid? And I jokingly said, I, I'll give you four quarters instead. I love that. That's great. So, um, you know, I think you tap on a really good point, though, and that's it's all about the story, you know, and I think a lot of people have great ideas, but they don't know how to tell the story. Uh, what's kind of step one in really taking this big idea that you've got and creating a compelling story for it? Step one, I think, is, is research. Um, you can't tell the story the way that you want to hear it. You have to tell the story the way that your audience wants to hear it. So I think one of the first things you have to do is, uh, is define who you're speaking to. Understand what motivates them and what's going to make for an effective story and how and where it's going to be told. Uh, and I think that, 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 that that's the reason why we were more effective. I had spent the better half of a decade um, listening to what people wanted and desired in the community at, at large uh, from space, from the city, um, and, and, and knowing who the audience was and what they wanted made my, A, made my vision that much closer to the reality of what they wanted, but also it, it, it showed me how to, to, to ring the bell, to, to ring those people's bells, to, 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 to keep them entertained, engaged uh, with what we had to say and, and give them reason to believe. Mm, great way of putting it, a reason to believe. So, um, you know, what would you say you're, you're a startup advisor, you're, you know, kind of even a startup whisperer, if you will. Um, what would you say is the biggest thing that people are missing? Is it that knowing who they are or is it knowing the people or is there, is there a key to really finding that thing for you that a person needs? I think it's a combination of things. I think the one of the things that I see most often is that startup founders drink their own Kool-Aid too much and they're, and they're not spending enough time thinking about the, the customer. Um, you know, being customer obsessed is something that, that I constantly focus on uh, in every business I advise, every business I invest in, every business that I run or, or launch. I really care about the customer so much um, because that relationship. I have a, a years ago, I wrote a mantra for my company, Digital Surgeons, and it was experiences build relationships and relationships build brands. So, and, and what that means is that the experience that people have with you, with your brand, with your customer service, with your location, be it physical or online or what have you, that, you know, people refer to it as brand experience now or CX, right? CX, BX, you know, whatever you want to call it, um, is the beginning of and the glue that starts the, the and the, that starts the trust, that starts the relationship and relationships are what creates that, you know, super fan uh, and, the, and, and really that super brand. So I think that um, that's the biggest thing for startup founders is really understanding who the customer is. And then the second thing to your point is knowing who they are. 
right? Like that, like knowing who you are as an entrepreneur, what your capabilities are, what they're not, what your weaknesses are, and being open-minded to that stuff. Because I think that, you know, every entrepreneur is so full of themselves that they miss, you know, I constantly tell people, all I'm here to do is show you the mirror. You, you can get mad at me. I'm just showing you what I see and, and, and what you should be seeing as well so that you can make better decisions. Wow, that's really powerful because, you know, I mean, the truth of the matter is, is everybody starts a business and it's just going to be the greatest thing since sliced bread. And yet we also know that, you know, what is it like 80% of businesses fail within the first two years. So there's got to be some kind of disconnect there. Um, can it be solved sooner than it is for most people? Yeah, I, I think that there's back to self-awareness, right? If you know what you're capable of, like I, when Pete, when Pete and I, Pete's my business partner, Pete Senna, when Pete and I set out to start Digital Surgeons, we had $5,000 between us, company, to, just to give you a sense, company 16 years old, and it does eight figures a year in, re, in revenue now. We have 55 people that work work for us and with us. And um, and we work with some, you know, we literally work with Fortune 50, so Fortune 20 companies in some cases. When he and I started the business, it was very simple. I was a strategist that understood and had a very keen intuition for business and marketing and people. And, and I was a really, really, really good business developer. I understood the, mecha the, the mechanics of business development. Um, uh, he was a tradesman, a craftsman. He could, could design at a level of uh, uh, at a level of polish that would be considered world class. He was a coder. He was a technologist. He could figure out anything technical. Um, and and he so you know in a sense I I, we, I used to joke around and say I sell it you smell it, and and that yin and yang, which is so prevalent today, like it's so obvious today, really made us successful. I think that it, it was very clear. I knew who I was, he knew he, who he was. And then from there, we were always on a quest to be better and to get better, both as individuals, both as an organization, and both as a partner, as a partnership. And those are very different things that I just mentioned. I think that knowing who you are Seeking, and if you can't figure it out, asking questions, always seeking feedback, you know, so that you can figure, get the gift of feedback and, and, and therefore get better, I think is critical. So you mentioned that you've worked with Fortune 50, even Fortune 20 companies. Um, and then, you know, I see in your bio that you've worked with people up to and including even Lady Gaga and stuff like that. Um, it's got to be a little intimidating for somebody listening, but what kind of companies do you work with? So typically we work with venture funded startups. I mean, we're definitely not uh, the only way we're working with companies that don't have the budgets to, to work with us is if we're taking an investment in the, in those companies and, um, and which we do quite a bit of, um, but there has to be some, some split of cash and equity in the game. Uh, the companies that we, and, and to be honest with you, it's the startup companies that are the funnest ones to work on, right? When we're building something from scratch. Um, for our latest one was Hue, H-U-U-E.co. Uh, it's a technology platform in the cannabis space and specifically in the inhalant space. That company came to us and they were just getting started and we were able to help them raise money uh, I personally joined the board. I helped raise over a million dollars for the business. Um, we launched the, we built the brand. We named the company. We did so much work to get them to life. And my team smiled every day working on it because it's ground floor, right? It's that zero to one that gets a lot of people excited. Um, you know, zero to one being a great book that Peter Thiel wrote. Um, I think that that that's who we work with. We, we like to work with Mavericks. We like to work with innovation focused people um, that want to get stuff done that have audacity. Uh, we will, we, we will forego a lot of our qualifiers for business. If there are other check boxes that we get to see uh, checked, right? 
is this going to be award-winning work? Is this going to be fun? Is this, are we working with great people? Um, are we, are we going to make some history? Are we going to get some PR from this? Is this going to make us famous? Is this going to make everybody famous? Um, there's, there, there's more to meets the eye than the traditional, you know, budget authority needs and timing or, you know, my, 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 uh, my four P's qualifying framework. Um, we definitely want to work with great people first. So somebody thinks that they've got the right stuff to be able to get to work with you. How would they get in contact with you? Uh, easy. I mean, LinkedIn, uh, I'm David Salinas on LinkedIn, Instagram, uh, I grow brands, uh, same thing for Twitter and TikTok uh, at I grow brands. You can ch chase me down on any of my websites, but my big one being digital surgeons and just fill out the contact form and mention me by name and the contacts will always get to me. Um, those are, those, are, you know, handful of ways to get to me. I'm pretty easy to reach. I'm very active. Well, I love it. David, thanks so much for spending some quality time with us here on the show today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much, Steve, for having me and for wanting to introduce me to your audience. Uh, I appreciate the questions. What is your story? What is the story that you tell? Have you created a strong, solid brand with a great story that tells who you are, what your company does in this world, how you can make the difference in this world that difference that only you can make. What is your story? How do you show it to the world? How does it shine out so that the world is a better place because you share your story with it? And in so doing, how does it meet the needs of the people you're meant to serve? And how does it help you scale that thing you're meant to do in this world? You see, here's what I know. I know you are uniquely brilliant. You were created for a purpose. And the world does need you. And as you develop the story of you, the story of your company, the story of your life, as you begin to build that brand, you put the strategy around what you want to do. You add the story and the strategy to your dreams. And then scale those dreams to the lofty high heights that they were always meant for that they were given to you for, so that you make an impact. You change the world in your little corner of the world just by simply being you, by having that story, by telling that story, and scaling bigger so you can tell that story to even more people. You can change even more lives, and you can make this world an even better place. I see it. I know you can do it. I believe in you. I know you have part of your story, and I encourage you to reach out, to do even more with what you've done so far, to scale up bigger, brighter, bolder, to move stronger, harder, and faster, and do the things that only you can do, and maximize while it's called today, so that you find yourself looking around and seeing just how blessed you are, how much you thrive, and how you are indeed truly free. I want that for you. I see that for you. And I love the concept of you reaching, growing, and living into that place where you are a thriving entrepreneur. That's so exciting. I look forward to hearing all about it. Until we're together and next time, I hope that you have an amazing day, an amazing week, that you feel happy and blessed and that you live as a thriving entrepreneur. Thanks for listening to Thriving Entrepreneur today. If you want to get your question answered, send an email to questions at wehelpyouthrive.com. We look forward to you joining us again next time. who's on a mission, stand out with your brand out. <laughs>
<laughs> Check this out, guys. Yep, everything's marketing, and marketing is everything. Your existing book can become a best-selling book, or even, hey, like mine, a number one international best-selling book in five days. Listen, if your business isn't known by everybody, it's obscurity and that's death, right? The same thing is true for your book. If you're not happy with the way your book is performing, you got that far and then it just fell off the face of the planet kind of feeling, go to yourbestsellertoday.com. Schedule a talk with Steve. It's risk-free. It's guaranteed. It's proven. We've done it thousands of times. What are you waiting for? Yes, yourbestsellertoday.com. This time next week, you could have a beautiful seal on your book and get the attention that you deserve. Reach the people that you came to serve. Come on now. What are you waiting for? Grab a pen. Here we go. All you got to do is book a call, yourbestsellertoday.com. Go to yourbestsellertoday.com. Book a talk with Steve. It's proven. It's guaranteed. It's going to happen. All you have to do is say yes to your destiny. You are-